I think explaining death and dying and saying this is what happened is the best way to approach kids when discussing grief because they're going to actually understand it. Welcome to episode four of Ugly Cry, where we answer the questions about grief, loss, and death that you're afraid to ask. I'm your host, Tess. Today I'm talking with Sydney Ford about how we can speak with children about loss and grief and how we can be better support systems for the young people experiencing grief in our lives. Sydney started supporting grieving children as a teenager after she lost her own father at a very young age. She has written a children's book on grief and is currently a juvenile defense attorney. At a certain point in our conversation, Sydney jokes about becoming the grief girl. For obvious reasons, I really related to Sydney on this point. And although we all experience grief and loss in our lifetimes, it isn't all of us who sink deep into the grief and loss space and stay there. I'm not to the point where I quite understand what it is that makes some of us stay in our grief in such an intense way, but that's a discussion for another time. I had so many aha moments during this conversation with Sydney, not only about how differently I want to approach grief and loss with children from now on, but also as an adult person working hard to reparent myself in so many ways. So let's dive in. Uh, You lost your dad when you were 10. And that was, it sounds like kind of your introduction to like the world of grief, the experience of grief. Experiencing all the intense feelings of loss so young, um, can you sort of describe what that's like as a a 10-year-old, if you remember? Mm -hmm. So I think at first, it really didn't make much sense to me. I think I knew and realized that my dad wasn't there and he wasn't coming back, but I think a lot of what I experienced was fear. And I'm not sure, you know, I I know that every child grieves differently. And I know there might be other kids who don't experience that. But I feel like as a child, my main emotion that I experienced was fear. And I was constantly afraid of losing my mom, afraid of losing someone else. And I think what really changed and shaped me was that that was a point where I realized how quickly life could change. And so... It was that turning point in my life where I realized that I have no control over anything that happens to me as far as um, life and death. And for me, it was just kind of that big moment where you realize some of the things that you really don't realize until you're an adult. So it really made me grow up faster. But I do think my main emotion that I felt most of the time was fear. Was that scary to be kind of always waiting for someone else to disappear or like be gone in that same way? Yes. When I look back now, a lot of the fear that I experienced um, was usually at night. I was, would be fine during the day. And then at nighttime, I would be afraid um, that my mom would die in the middle of the night. And I think part of it was my dad died in the middle of the night. Um, He woke up, he had a heart attack and that was it. And so for me, um, the suddenness and the fact that it came at night, those two things combined made nighttime a little more scary for me. And as a 10-year-old child, I think my mom chalked some of it up to just a general fear of the dark and general um, anxiety surrounding nighttime that kids kind of have. But for me, it was always magnified 
by the fact that my dad died during that time. And were you, so did you share those feelings with your mom? Not really. I think it's really hard for kids to share those emotions with a parent who's also grieving. I know that she was afraid for three years. I slept in the same bed as her. So until I went to middle school, I slept in the same bed as my mom every night because I think she was probably just as afraid as I was. Um, And I think it was kind of like an unspoken communication between us. We both knew that the other was struggling, but it's so hard to sit down knowing that she was experiencing that loss and trying to be, I guess, quote unquote, strong enough for both of us by not breaking down that it was always hard for me to bring it up to her or really even understand myself what was happening as a 10 year old child to even express that to her and say, okay, this is what I'm feeling because I didn't know why I was feeling that way. Did you ever wish that it wasn't so unspoken? I mean, there are definitely times now when after struggling with generalized anxiety disorder and panic disorder for so long, I can kind of see like where it started in my childhood and what um, it originated from. But I'm not sure that I would put that responsibility necessarily on her. I think her generation and generations before her dealt with grief a lot differently than our generation does. And at the time, I think she had been raised not to talk about those emotions and not to dive into it. Um, And so for me, I don't really think anything was done that she could have done differently. I think probably there could have been people who stepped in and did things. I know I went to counseling a couple of times and I don't think it was necessarily the most beneficial counseling. So I think it was just finding the right fit and people noticing what I was going through and not chalking it up to something else. Like my senior year of high school, when I went to a counselor, he kind of designated my anxiety and my grief as just being too busy. So I think it was just finding the right pairing and the right people who knew what to do to help me. I see. So the people who you were looking to, to support you weren't, weren't bringing in that grief component. They were just sort of looking at you and saying, oh, here's a teen being a teen. So I think growing up, especially like right after the loss, I was always so busy that I really didn't do much to dive into how I was feeling in those emotions. And so initially, I think I had those fear and those feelings, but I think to most people, I would have looked fine. I think to my mom, like throughout the day, I would have looked fine and no one would have noticed. I don't think it's until my senior year of high school when I realized that I had bottled everything up and not addressed it at all. And it all exploded with panic attacks Mm -hmm. that I realized that I hadn't addressed it. And then at that point, Because I had been so successful for so long doing AP classes, cheerleading, dance, all of these things, people just thought it was that. No one, I think, sat down and said, oh, she lost her dad when she was 10 years old. Maybe it goes back to that. I think at that point, it was distant enough to where people no longer made the connection because it had been eight years by then. And I think by that point, it took a while and the right therapist to actually go back and make that connection and say, okay, this is where it started and this is why it's happening. And it's not because I'm doing too much or signing up 
for too much or nervous about college, it's because I never addressed my grief. Around that time in high school, you were also supporting other children who were grieving at the same time as you were. Is that right? That's Um, correct. Yeah. (laughs) That it's always really interesting to me because I actually started working with grieving children before I had addressed my own grief. So it was always really weird to me to look back because I used to tell um, children that if they didn't talk about their grief, that it was kind of like a shaken soda can or soda bottle that when you open it up, it explodes and eventually it all comes out. And so for me, I actually became that soda bottle my senior year of high school. And it was, I had bottled it all up and shook it up and just kept it in there. And the lid just popped off my senior year and it all just exploded into um, mental health struggles. And so for me, it's ironic looking back and being like, I was telling other kids what to do and I hadn't even done it myself. That's really interesting. Was there ever any like moment where helping other kids felt like part of your process of healing from grief? I really think it has helped me. I think it made it much easier for me to talk about it because I was talking about it to so many kids that I think my inner child who had lost her dad was the one talking to those kids and the one saying, this is what I'm feeling. This is what I'm going through. And I think at times those um, repressed emotions, I was able to sit there and talk to kids who were going through the same thing and realize that the things that I had felt were what they were feeling. And so for me, there was a time where I didn't really know that the reason all these emotions were coming back and coming up was because of my grief. I think a lot of realizing it was my grief was sitting down with these kids and hearing their stories about their fear and the things they've experienced and being like, okay, I felt that way and I never dealt with it. And now I'm feeling this way again. So honestly, I, there's a lot of times that I hear stories that I help children, but I think a lot of ways initially they really helped me because it allowed me to talk about my grief outward and openly for the first time. And it also showed me that, you know, my inner child had felt very real emotions that other kids experienced and that it was normal. That's such a, I think, common experience with grieving folks, huh? It's like, am I doing this right? Is this weird? Is this grief? Uh, I don't really know. Um, And it's not until you make some of those connections and you realize like, oh my gosh, yeah, not only is this grief, (laughs) but this is like super common and, you know, it's, this is hard. (laughs) And I think for me, a lot of the fear and anxiety, I felt really ashamed about it because I felt like that wasn't normal. Um, And that, and I remember senior year of high school, constantly telling my mom, like when I was having panic attacks that I just wanted to be normal. And it's crazy because now like as mental health has become more talked about, I'm like, okay, I actually am normal and I'm probably in the majority (laughs) at this point. So it's like, all right, we're, we're good now. You got your wish in a in a funny way. I'm normal in in, in a way that I didn't plan, but <laughs> right, yeah. After working with children so many years, are there common themes or common requests that you hear from children where they wish that the adults in their lives were showing up in a way that they weren't? So I don't think kids necessarily know 
what to say. I know that they want the support, they crave the support and that they do better with the support. Now, kids aren't typically ones to come out and say, oh, I need this um, from you. And I think it's because they're not taught at an early age to communicate their wants and their needs in regards to their emotions. Um, I think this is something that some kids are able to do, but the vast majority, I think, um, struggle with that communication early on. And it's just because I don't think at that age, you really recognize what those emotions are and where they're coming from and why you feel that way. Sometimes, you know, you watch two kids playing and one gets really angry about something and lashes out. And I had a kid that did something very similar and what happened was the other kid was bleeding and he got upset because it reminded him of his dad's death. And someone witnessing that would see two kids playing one freaking out, the other like getting mad and that interaction and might think that it has something to do with the playing. And honestly, the kid might think the same too. So a lot of the times what I recommend to people is sitting down and discussing where those emotions come from. So I think it's very easy to look at the surface level and say, oh, you guys just got into an argument because you were fighting. Um, I think it's even deeper to sit down and say, okay, why did this start? Um, what's going on here? And for me, because that kid was so introspective, he was able to say, well, his nose started bleeding. It freaked me out. I started screaming. Then he got mad. And it's just getting kids to a point where they're able to look deeper and figure out where things are coming from. And I think as adults, it's just starting those conversations talking to a child when they're acting out at school or having a behavioral problem instead of just, you know, automatically chalking it up to, oh, they're a child or, oh, they're just behaving bad. They're just a bad kid. Instead, maybe discussing those emotions behind why they're acting the way they're acting. And I think a lot of the times, especially with our grieving youth, we can really pinpoint where it's coming from if we actually sit down and do deep discussions with them. Well, it seems like so often we almost don't give kids the benefit of the doubt to be able to enter into those heavy conversations um, or, you know, these what we view as more advanced level conversations maybe, but um, it seems like in your experience, the kids are, are right there ready to actually talk about it or they understand Mm -hmm. that connection. I think at my, like when my dad died, I think I would have understood those deep level conversations, but I don't think anyone broached those with me because I think people are afraid to talk to children about things because they're worried one, that they won't understand two that they'll scare them three that, you know, talking about death and dying, that like we shouldn't do that with children. But I've learned that children see everything. <laughs> they pick up on everything and you would be surprised how much they see from what everyone else is doing and how everyone else is behaving and how much of that they're internalizing that we should be talking to them about it because they're noticing that mom goes to bed and cries at night. They're noticing, you know, how someone looks at something like an item and maybe threw it away because they were angry. Just all of those things, they they pick up on everything and they are way smarter than people give them credit for. And they understand so much more than people really, I think, give to them. 
Where do you think that this idea then, I mean, all of that rings so true for me. It makes total sense. And I'm wondering where, where did this idea that we shouldn't talk to kids about grief or death come from? What is that? I think a lot of it came from trying to protect children. I think we wanted them to almost, I guess, maintain their innocence and not have to learn about death and dying and life and finality and I think how fragile life is at such a young age because we wanted them to live and have fun and enjoy it. But at the same time, especially with COVID recently, there are kids who are losing people left and right. And they're understanding this probably much earlier than maybe they did generations before us. Um, But kids know what's going on, as I said. And I think it's really important that instead of trying to protect them, we help them. Did you, do you remember feeling that yourself? Like some of your innocence was sort of gone when you lost your own father? Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, I remember constantly worrying about my mom dying. I knew at that moment that life could change in an instant. I remember feeling like I had no control over life anymore. And I remember thinking, well, it could happen to anyone at any time. And I don't think I had ever thought of those things before that. Um, it's something that I went about my life and I had fun doing the things I enjoyed. And all of a sudden that completely changed. Mm -hmm. So for me, it definitely took away my innocence, but it also completely changed my outlook on life and realizing that I have to do as much as I can now, because I don't know when my life is going to end and I don't know how long I'll be here. And so Mm -hmm. in a sense, it gave me, I guess, hope to do more and an inspiration to be able to do more while I'm here. But at the same time, initially, when I was that age, it really took away um, a lot of my childhood. Mm. That's really tough to like, all of a sudden, it's like, you know, like thrown into the cold water, right? Like the Mm -hmm. security, even as an adult. So like my, my dad passed away two years ago now, almost two Mm -hmm. years ago. And I even feel like as an adult, it just like almost shattered my sense of like this cushy safe world where like I always had my person and like things were predictable and I kind of had a sense of the world and even as an adult I feel like I I had that um same feeling which makes me even understand more that like of course children feel like that because that's a human thing that's not like a kid adult thing So you also wrote a children's book about grief called Grief Came to Visit Today. And in the very first page of that book, it says, it was early in the morning when my mom sat me down to tell me that my grandmother had died. And I wondered why you chose to use the word died instead of something that we maybe usually use as a a euphemism for death, like passed away, moved on. For me, I think for so long that we've used euphemisms for death because either we're afraid to talk about it. Like I said, we're afraid that kids don't understand. We're afraid to use that word. And I think, I think there's no reason to not use the word because that's what happened. They died. And I think it's very important to not try 
And I know everyone will have different opinions on this, but for me, I think it's not important to use euphemisms um, with children to explain grief because when you say things like, oh, they passed away or, oh, they went to heaven or something like that. And even if, you know, that's your religious beliefs, I think you're giving kids maybe a sense that something might change. Like, oh, grandma just went to heaven. When will she be back? Um, Or, oh, she passed away. What does that mean? I don't really understand that as a child. I think explaining death and dying and saying this is what happened is the best way to approach kids when discussing grief because they're going to actually understand it. And I know, like I said, everyone will have different opinions on that. Some people may say, well, I don't want, you know, my child to know what that is so early on. And I don't want them to have that brash introduction into death. But eventually the child is going to realize what's going on. They are going to realize that the person's not coming back and they're going to have more questions. Well, you said grandma went to heaven. Why is she not back yet? Or you Mm -hmm. said, you know, she passed away. I still don't understand what that means. Where did she go? And I think explaining death and dying and using those words um, is a great way to actually just approach it with kids. And I know, like I said, everyone has a different opinion, but that's just mine. I think that's an interesting point that you're totally right. We usually use those euphemisms to avoid that those tough conversations about grief with kids. But no matter what we say, even if we use cushy terms around grief and loss, eventually we still are going to have to have those conversations and talk about what death is. I think it builds a level of trust between you and the child um, that the child knows that you respect them enough to tell them what happened. I think when the child keeps coming back with questions, there's, you know, the inquisitive nature of a child and well, why won't he tell me what happened? What's really going on? Then the child starts to worry about, okay, well, you know, this doesn't make sense. This isn't adding up. And I think you develop more, I guess, um, a relationship with the child when you're able to sit down and say, okay, this is what happened. Now, I do understand that um, with different types of losses, sometimes you don't want to go into the full details of what happened with the child. And that I get because sometimes that can be very traumatic for the child to hear that at such a young age, depending on if it was a traumatic loss or not. Um, but I do believe we should be upfront about death and dying um, instead of using euphemisms for it. And then when a child says, like, what does that mean that they died? How do you explain that? Mm -hmm. So it probably um, depends on the age level of the child. I feel like a lot of, you know, especially getting into kindergarten age, a lot of kids have, even children's movies these days, have people die um, that they understand a little bit of the nature. But for my younger kids, I typically explain that they're not here anymore, um, that their heart stopped working in their body. And usually a child has at least heard about a heart, but if not, you can have them hold their hand over their heart and feel it and say, you know, that's what keeps your body running. That's what keeps you functioning. And at some point it stops working. And when that happens, you know, the rest of your body doesn't work anymore. And I think explaining it, 
in that way. You know, that's what happens instead of, oh, well, you know, they're just not here anymore. They're in a better place. And like I said, I don't want to judge anyone who uses that because that's their choice and, you know, they know their child and that's how they want to um, address it. Then that's fine. But for me, I think actually explaining that they're not coming back and that their body just stopped working, I think explains it in a way that a child can understand instead of wondering, okay, well, where are they? Mm. Um, I can see why even as you were describing that I felt myself imagining having to say that to my son for example Mm -hmm. and even made me sort of scared to to think about having to do that um Mm -hmm. because I think I would be afraid that I would scare them or that they would be you know afraid that their heart would stop or would be worried about their own heart all the time is that something that has come up for you and I mean it I think no matter how you discuss death and dying death and dying is something that inherently brings fear about it there is there is going to be no way that you can positively explain death and dying but there's a way I think that kids can understand and that you can put things on a base level where they're not going to have you know all these fears and worries about are they coming back where are they those kind of things um you can put it on that base level and explain, I guess, the finality of it so that they're not hoping for someone's return or not sitting here asking where they are or when they're coming back. But I also think that no matter how you say it, there's going to be fear surrounding death. And that's because that's what death is. Death is fearful because it's something that we don't know when it's going to happen. We don't know how it's going to happen. And, you know, no matter what your religion is, no one on this earth can 100% say what happens after. And mm-hmm. so for me, I think no matter how you explain death, there's going to be fear surrounding it. And I think it's addressing that fear when it comes up instead of tiptoeing around talking about death to where we don't actually talk about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really getting to like almost the fundamental nature of our culture or something that Mm -hmm. is like terrified to mention death, dying, grieving, any of that stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, Which is crazy in the sense that everyone experiences it. If you Mm -hmm. live long enough, you will experience death. Someone you know, a friend, a family member, someone you know will die. And Mm -hmm. so it's crazy to me that everyone experiences it yet everyone's afraid to talk about it. And like I said, I guess, you know, inherently it does bring that fear because it brings that fear of the unknown, even in us adults, because we don't know either. We don't have the answers. You're talking to a child and they're asking you questions and you cannot answer them because you don't know. And I think that's part of the reason we're afraid to talk about death is we know we don't have all the answers. And what do you suggest when we don't have those answers? Do we just say... I don't know. Should we talk about it? Well, I think it's really important to be upfront and honest, especially with children, because like I said, they notice so much and kids talk about things too. I mean, that's how a lot of kids find out about like the two fairy and Santa's. They talk to each other about it all. And so I think it's important to be upfront and honest because you don't want your kid to go to school and say, oh, my grandma died. And someone say, you know, oh, this is what happens. And your kid be like, oh, well, my mom told me this, you know, mm. I, I, 
that that is something that I have seen before that I was like oh gosh no this is so bad um oh my gosh I had that was just like a light bulb moment of course (laughs) like I didn't even think of that (laughs) of course they're talking to one another they are and for me a lot of those conversations are very interesting because like I said kids um they just resonate with each other. They understand like the level that each other's on and that innocent nature of just talking about things. They don't worry about what the other person might think or feel. They're, they're not, they're not worried about what they say. They just say it. And so for me, watching them talk about grief has been very interesting because it shows me how much as as adults, we're afraid and we tiptoe around it. Whereas kids are just like, Hey, this is what happened. This is it. Like you want to hear about my dad. This is the story. And then you're sitting there and you're like, we can't do that as adults. And we're worried to talk to kids about it, but here they are talking to each other about it. Like there's no problem. And so for me, I really think just putting ourselves on that level and saying, you know, I don't have all the answers, but this is what I do know. And Mm -hmm. I'm here to talk to you about it openly and honestly. If you have questions, let me know. We can, you know, we can ask around. If I don't have the answer, maybe someone else does. Maybe the answer is just not out there. And that's just a part of life sometimes. But, Mm -hmm. you know, I am going to be here to talk to you about it. If you have more questions, come to me. If I don't have the answer, then I don't. But we'll talk talk it through and maybe we'll decide what we think the answer might be. Um, even if we don't have the perfect one. So I think it's just having those conversations. Yeah. I really love that approach. That's like such an amazing thing that you can say, I don't know, but we can look around, like, let's be Mm -hmm. inquisitive together. Mm -hmm. Um, that's really like, I don't want to say like exciting. It sounds too positive, positive, but it (laughs) makes it feel like not so high stakes. Like you can just say, Mm-hmm. And it puts some kind of level of a guess of hope in the conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, there's always more we can do to have those conversations and encourage those conversations. And maybe, you know, a learning opportunity comes out of it for both you and the child. Mm-hmm. Uh, something that's striking me is this idea of the openness of children in discussing grief and then the closedness of adults in discussing grief. Um, it's striking me almost like, like, what is, are we just passing along our generational trauma of like being ashamed and silenced about grief? What is that? So I think some of it is the fact that, as I mentioned earlier, generations before us have not sat and talked about grief. Um, they haven't talked about mental health. Those emotions have been closed off and people really haven't shared them. I think our generation has definitely become more progressive in the sense that we are talking about it more. But I think as adults, typically we're conditioned to walk this tightrope of perfection. And even though we know and we've heard, oh, talk about your mental health, talk about your grief, all of these things, we still tend to, as adults, think that we have to have our life together. We have to have these perfect answers and we have to have everything straightened out. Kids are just not like that. They aren't concerned about having this perfect life or having anything Um, figured out in the future they are in the here and now they're having that conversation right then with that person and they're not worried about what's going to happen in five minutes
perfectionism. As soon as I hear the word, it really shakes me. Somehow, this isn't a connection that I had made before, but now it's so obvious. The desire to appear okay on our bad days, the frustration at not being better yet, the urge to appear like an exceptional griever, immune to the pain of loss while privately feeling so broken, it all comes back to this, perfectionism. When you sent me your bio, something that stuck out to me was that you said you became a juvenile defense attorney because you recognized the role that grief played in the juvenile justice system. Can you explain more about that? Yes. Um, Grief is proven to exacerbate already existing mental illnesses on top of the fact that it can create some on its own. So when you add that into a youth, either let's say, you know, a 15 year old boy who has ADHD is struggling in school And then you add in the fact that he's grieving and he doesn't have that support. He doesn't have those services. And then he's at school. He's not understanding. He's not able to pay attention. So he starts acting out in class. And, you know, the teacher says something. And in that moment, because he hasn't addressed his grief and it's bottled up in anger, he lashes out. He throws something. He starts yelling. Um, That child could be arrested for assault, for throwing something. If he hits someone in that lashing out, he could be arrested for battery, um, numerous other charges I've seen, like disrupting public schools, um, you name it, I've seen it. Um, It's interesting because I talk to a lot of these kids and they've all experienced some loss. The majority of them have experienced a traumatic loss. And I think that adds to the magnitude and not to say that anyone's grief is worse than anyone else's, but I think a traumatic loss can be very changing as far as what's going on um, with your behavior. And those instances, I think, can be magnified. So for me, seeing all these kids who come in grieving, and like I would said, you know, I would think 99% of my kids, if I was to sit down and calculate each one of them who has experienced some kind of loss, um, especially a traumatic one that they've witnessed, I would say 99% of them have. Wow, 99%. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I think if you actually sat down in the detention center in whatever county you're in and sat there and calculated how many kids, I think you'd be very surprised. There's actually a good bit of research on it, and it's shown that grief can exacerbate those mental illness and grief can lead to more juveniles um, being in the system. So the research is out there. We know that it exists, yet... I think it's something when a kid's acting out in class or a kid's having an issue um, and they're getting arrested, I don't think anyone really sits down and says, okay, this might be because of their grief and works on addressing that instead of detaining the child and arresting them and having them do probation, stuff that's not going to address the underlying issue. And so when you're talking about grief in this sense, you're not talking just about, you know, somebody that's died, but you mean, I mean, there are all sorts of ways that we experience grief and loss mm-hmm. um well right? in this instance i'm talking about death in the sense oh, okay. that the majority of these children have experienced a death in their family um most of them immediate family wow I that makes that statistic like even more shocking that it's literal mm-hmm. death and loss there are some children out there who have experienced um 
grief due to moving to a new school or to divorce or other things like that, that might be in the juvenile justice system. But when I say that a large majority of my youth that I work with have experienced the death of a parent, a sibling, a cousin, an aunt, an uncle, or a grandparent, it's 99% of them. I actually just recently, an article that I wrote is being published um, by Northwestern's online criminology journal. And it's about um, addressing grief during pretrial diversion programs, which is where we're providing services before the kid actually has to decide whether they want to do an admission or a trial or whether, you know, the case goes forward. So it's kind of that initial intervention step that you can do when a kid first gets in the system. And so my proposal is to have trauma-oriented programs and grief-oriented programs so we can talk about that trauma and that grief early on to address it um, so we don't have the same kids coming back over and over again because we never actually address the underlying issue. Wow. It, it's such a fascinating cycle, right? It's like, we're so afraid to talk about grief. Then our, you know, the kids that are in our community are experiencing loss, but they don't know where to turn to because none of the adults that are around them will talk about it. And so they just are dealing with it, how they feel, how they understand mm-hmm. how, which is like, I'm really angry. I want to, you know, whatever, punch this wall. Like I'm going to punch this wall and no one has given me other tools. Um, yeah. th- it's such a cycle. It really is. And, you know, at some point, like I said, there's research behind it. So we know it exists. So we have to step in and do something. And I think that comes first. Um, The National Alliance for Children's Grief has done a lot of great work with this, with making sure that there is awareness surrounding children's grief, that people know it exists, that people know the circumstances around it, like children ended up in the juvenile justice system and people realize how important it is to address. Um, So bringing awareness to that, I think is first and foremost, the most important, but then understanding how to step in and make changes and getting those resources is the second step because it's not enough just to know it exists. Something has to be done about it. The National Alliance for Children's Grief does have resources online listed. They have programs listed nationwide Um, You can find almost anything in your area um, when you go on their site and look for your state, your zip code, and be able to find places. And a lot of those programs also provide family services so that they'll help you learn how to speak about it, how to talk about it, and address the issues that have arisen in yourself as well so that you're able to discuss it. That's a really fascinating, I mean, it's just like a whole new world that I I didn't know, (laughs) a whole new element. Um, to mm-hmm. this conversation about how to help our kids do better or and to understand their feelings and not feel like they have to, I don't know, sort it out on their own, I guess. And I think um, that's the most important thing we can do as adults is not force them to figure it out on their own is by stepping in. Even if it's not your child and you see a child who's grieving, who needs that assistance, just checking in and saying, okay, what's going on? And giving them the opportunity to talk can sometimes make the world of difference. And even if they don't immediately unload everything and say, this is what happened, checking in every now and then, eventually they'll realize you're a safe space to talk and they'll open up about some of the things they're struggling with. So making those connections with kids that we see that are struggling 
and taking that step because like I said as a child I didn't take that step and reach out to anyone and most kids don't because they don't know and so it's us as adults stepping in and saying okay I'm going to be a helping hand what do you need uh, you have a nonprofit, right where you help yeah. children who have lost people they love go to college yes so um hope after grief incorporated we are a 501c3 we started it was a year ago, actually, was when I started my nonprofit. And it was because I noticed all the GoFundMes that people were doing after they lost someone to COVID. And a lot of people were trying to raise money for funeral expenses, for hospital bills. And I just, I saw these left and right. And I thought how sad it was that a family had to spend all of their money for the hospital bills, the funeral expenses. And I saw one fundraiser specifically that the family had spent so much on funeral bills and expenses that they were trying to raise money for their daughter to get a computer for school. And at the time I was like, wow, um, it's crazy that they're having to do that. And then I was thinking, was she going to be able to go to school? You know, she's going to have to take out so many loans. She's going to have to work to pay them off. And I was just thinking about how much the loss of someone had set somebody back financially. And I remember all the stuff that my mom had to do um, when my dad died. And, you know, we went from being a two income household to a single income household. And for me, I didn't want a kid to have to forego their education because someone in their family had died. I didn't want them to feel like they didn't have a future. And so I started Hope After Grief to be able to give them some hope for their future after that loss. Um, our winner from Georgia last year had lost both of his parents and he lived with his grandmother and he worked four jobs while in high school, playing football, maintaining good grades and worked four jobs to be able to help his family because he had other siblings and his grandmother was now the sole caretaker for all of them. The magnitude of some of the things that some of these kids are doing to be able to have a future. And I just wanted to help them out a little bit and make sure that there's some way that we can make it a little easier for them. Well, that's incredible. It's something that I think unless you have like the firsthand experience and insight that you have. I mean, it's not something that I would occur to me as being so essential, but of course these, these kids who have lost people, they, I mean, we all have experienced it through loss, right? The world doesn't mm -hmm. stop. Um, and we just have to kind of cope with a world that continues to move as we're trying mm -hmm. to, um, and of course a huge part of that is trying to get your education and continue that path. So that's wonderful to be able to have a way to help these kids. You can find Sydney's nonprofit at hopeaftergrief.org. You can also find her on Instagram at hopeaftergrief or Sydney Ford double underscore. The book that she wrote is called Grief Came to Visit Today, and you can find that on Amazon. Sydney said she hopes to restock that book soon at Barnes & Noble and Target as well. If you know someone in South Carolina or Georgia who lost a parent or guardian or sibling and is trying to go to college, definitely check out hopeaftergrief.org. There is help out there.
In our next episode, I talk to Dr. Mikkel about how grief lives in the body and how we can form better relationships with our healthcare providers as we experience grief. Make sure you subscribe to our channel so that you don't miss it. And be sure to leave a review if you're enjoying exploring this grief and loss space alongside us. This is Tess, and you've been listening to Ugly Cry.